here's what we mean with, with this culture of authentic worship. It says that we strive to make every day God-honoring as we walk with and honor Christ in all that we do. So as a member of Parkway Baptist Church, we've committed ourselves to live every day of our lives to being honoring to Jesus Christ. That's not always easy, but at least it's a goal, at least it's an aim, at least it's a direction, at least we know that when we fall away from that, that we've become distracted by the outside elements that seem to take our emotions and our passions away from that which we're supposed to be doing. So this topic of worship is such an important one, and it's not an option as, first of all, we were saved to worship. The redemption is the foundation on which true worship is built. Now, you're sitting among a lot of believers here, people who would claim that they are making a conscious decision to follow Jesus Christ with their life. And they're striving to look more like Jesus. Be holy, for I am holy. This progressive sanctification, being set apart from the world and and wickedness and being more like Jesus Christ. That's the pursuit that we live because we have been saved and we have been redeemed. Now, the supreme objective in the salvation of sinners is an eternal display of the glory of God. We've talked about that often where we say, why in the world did God not just take me as soon as I was saved? Because God left you here to glorify and to worship him. As a life that is gospel-centered, it is a life that proclaims the truth. It is living out the action of worship by telling others about Jesus. It is living a life that is different, that magnifies God's glory, and it is our fitting response to the praise of the glory of His grace, Ephesians 1.6. This past Wednesday night, I shared an illustration about my dad. My dad shared with the staff this past Tuesday his testimony. And as he gave his testimony, which he was saved in 1968, and, and so he was 26 years old when God got a hold of his heart, both mom and dad, and transformed his life, took him from being an addict in bondage to sin and a life that was transformed by the grace of God. He said in his testimony that his life phrase has been this, changed in grace. He referenced his salvation experience like turning uh, or trying on his own to stop the water that is coming out of a hose, but that the pressure became too strong and great. And he said this, quote, I was trying to stop God. Here's an unsaved man trying to stop God, but the pressure was so strong that God wants me. You know, the reality is, is that there's some of you in here today that you've got that hose and the water is flowing and you're just trying to hold on as tight as you can because you really enjoy life on your own. To give yourself in submission to a creator God, to think that there's a sovereign being that is in control of your life is something that you don't even want a part of. And so you're so desperately trying to stop the water flow until one day you will realize that you cannot handle the pressure anymore when you come to the place where you accept the fact that God wants you. That's what John 3 tells us. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, here to seek and to save that which was lost. And so here we would find that we've been saved to worship. Another comment that was made by dad in his testimony was that he often 
can't sing the songs in a corporate worship setting because he's choked up from the thoughts of the words. Have you ever been to that place? Like the emotion is so great about the message of the song that you're singing that you cannot even utter the words because you're still in such great marvel that God wanted you and that God chose you and that God rescued you and that God calls you his own. So today, when we look back, we see God's grace. Jesus understood this. And he shared that with the woman at the well in John chapter number four. In his conversation with the woman, he said, the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father seeks such to worship him. So the father, God the father is looking for sinners to be redeemed to become worshipers. And that those who are redeemed should worship him all the time. In John, that, in John 4, he reveals that purpose, that the Father is seeking for such to worship him. The Father sent Christ to seek and to save for the very specific purpose of transforming sinners to become worshipers. So in a collective group like this, you're either unrighteous, meaning that you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, or you're a worshiper. So you might be the kind that says, I don't sing well. Like in a corporate setting like this, I don't sing out loud because my, I'm not confident in my voice. Well, that's okay because you still have a spirit of worship within your heart. Don't get bogged down with the people say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all right? So crank it out and you won't offend anybody. Ah, hogwash, put it away, okay? Here's the reality. The transformation of the heart calls for you to worship him in your actions, in your countenance in your spirit. What the inside has changed brings out the outward change. So that is a life that you're going to constantly live. So you might be sitting there listening to a song and you can't utter that because of maybe some issues that you have with some insecurities of your voice. Or maybe you feel even in this setting, like if you do sing, you're the only one singing. Nobody around. I don't can't hear anybody else. So, but again, don't get bogged down with that. Allow your countenance to be a part of joining together in worship. You know what happens then is you begin to, to smile. Uh, you begin to, to communicate with your eyes that you know that God is dealing in your heart. You begin to, to, to have a different conversation with people because you're in a constant spirit of glorifying God. When we live a life of worship, it really rids ourselves of contention. It rids ourselves of negativity. Because any of those contentions and negativity, all of that just comes from a life that is not glorifying and worshiping God. So as believers today, we were saved in order to worship. Secondly, our view of God inspires our worship to God. You see, the Bible teaches us of a worship that is internal, that is sacrificial, it is active, and it is productive. At Parkway, we must protect ourselves from becoming a church with many well-planned activities, but with little and meaningless worship. Do you see how that could become a problem? Do you see how if you don't have core values that direct you to say yes to things and no to others, and that not everything is important, it helps you to keep in balance that you don't become the church that has so many well-organized and, and well-planned activities, but very little 
meaningful worship. We cannot be big on ministry and small on adoration. Churches today must be aware how easy it is to be filled with too many Marthas and so few Marys. The dues of ministry are many. But if that becomes our sole focus, that we forget to settle our heart to sit at the feet of Jesus and adore and worship him, we have totally missed the mark. So as a church, we have to stay in balance. Ministry has to happen. Organization must take place. And well-planned machines have to be functioning with a growing church. But also at the very same time, worship has to be a priority. Worship has to be purposeful, intentional, and directed. It must be something that we look forward to and something that we're involved in. That's why even sometimes we'll start a service with just a quiet moment of um, renewing our heart and our mind. Because the busyness of Sunday, did anybody have a busy morning today? Getting up, getting ready, getting some kids ready, trying to get them in the car. You're trying to figure out your outfit. You're like, do I wear the big long boots or the short boots? Do I wear five scarves or one scarf? You're like, I don't know. This is really challenging, okay? So you had a lot of things on your mind this morning. And then if anybody throws a kink in your flow, even for 30 seconds, like that's like, just blows your mind. You're like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then until you finally hustle and bustle, you get here, you throw open the door, you tell everybody in the car, put a smile on your face as you walk into that lobby, and as you walk in, you're just so glad to be here. And then you sit down, and you are far from ready to worship God. And so what ends up happening in our life is that ministry, doing, becomes our focal point, and worship becomes back burner. Like sometimes we even get rolling in a worship service and we're like, dude, I hope that guy Scott Smith up there figures out a way to get me in connected with this worship. And so sometimes even little distractions take us away from worship. Some crackling microphone during some of the songs, that'll distract us. Or maybe it was just me. Somebody not communicating with their face the way we would want them to communicate on the platform. Somebody's voice too high, too low. The song wasn't one I'm familiar with. I didn't know what to sing. I didn't know where to go. I came in too early or I came in too late. And all of a sudden, our focus on worship has not been about God. It's been about me. Oh, but why wouldn't it be? I mean, like your whole morning was all about you. Like, what am I going to eat for breakfast? What am I going to wear? And who's going to fall in line so that everything about my day goes well? So that I can get there, go through my functions, because this is what I've done for 50 years, and then I just can't wait to sit down with a hot meal at lunch. And so all of a sudden, worship has become meaningless and little. So may our focus never be so deeply entrenched in the doing that we completely miss the being. Are you with me on this? Now we may say, well, how in the world? Well, John MacArthur put it this way. He said, the heart can only go as high in worship as it can go deep in theology. You say, well, theology is a technical term. I want no part of that. Theology is what you believe about the Bible. It is the teaching of God's word. And it comes as a sponge that says, teach me, pour into me. God, use this time to make me different. Sometimes we come into a worship service together, and the last thing on our mind is being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
Why do you think I pray that almost every Sunday at the beginning of my message, that God's message would transform us to be more like his son? Because that has to be our focal point. It has to be that I've come to be challenged, convicted, and changed. I want to go out different than I came in. And that becomes our prayer as we join in. So even beyond the one-hour time together corporately of worshiping, this becomes something that we live. So it's studying God's word ourselves. It's, it's joining a Bible study or a connection class. It's looking to partner with accountability to help us to grow. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, put it this way. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved or shaken. By the way, Christians, we have a kingdom which is not going to be destroyed, a kingdom which will not be shaken or moved. And so let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That word godly fear brings us to a place of awe. Have you ever been in a moment where it's like jaw-dropping awe? Maybe you saw something and you're just like, what? Is that even real? Is that true? This is a place where we find ourselves in great reverence to God that is pleasing. You see the word acceptability in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. That, that adjective carries all throughout the New Testament, acceptable, acceptableness, acceptability. And it is the word for pleasing. It's an act of worship to God. And so here he's saying that our worship, that we would serve God with our pleasing worship, that we do it with great reverence, with honor, and then with this godly fear, with this awe. A.W. Tozer said this, that worship is the missing jewel of the church. May that never be said about Parkway. The third thing is the three scopes of true worship. This is kind of where I want to park for a few minutes because true worship touches every area of our lives. It really does. So you're like, well, I've got my busy life. I'm going to, go to, I'm going to get up early tomorrow. I've got to do my thing, get the kids to school, get to work, hope I can make it to lunch without killing anybody. And then if I can make it to my lunch break, I'll be rejuvenated with lunch. And then hopefully the afternoon will be smooth so I can rush to get the kids, to get them home, get them fed, do the homework, get them to bed, watch a couple of things on the TV before I have to crash at 11 o'clock and call it a yet another day. And what ends up happening is, is that we're like, worship, oh yeah, that's coming up on Sunday, like 1030, I'll be there, I'll be a part of that. And maybe we'll even disguise Wednesday night services or Sunday night services or our connection class and we'll disguise that as a little part of worship. But in our minds, because we're misconstrued or misunderstanding this, we think that worship only happens if we have a, hung, a fun tune to sing with. Or maybe that if it's just some kind of music going on, then that's worship. But again, worship touches every area of our lives, driving down the road without music, interacting with your kids, doing things that are on your daily task list, interacting with your coworkers, setting goals and, and aims in your life, setting restrictions of how you're going to live for Jesus, and, and the list goes on. Worship is to the Christian life what an engine is to a car or what an electrical cord is to a lamp. Like we see the invisible effects of those core elements. So you're going to get in your car here in just a few moments, and some of you are going to put it in reverse, and it'll reverse, throw it in drive, and you're going to head out. Some of you, before you even put it in reverse, you're going to crank it up to 85, you're going to put it on full blast, and you're going to try to heat yourself because those are the important elements to you. But all of that are visible effects that have come from a core element called the car engine. 
Some of you are going to go into your living room later today and you're going to turn on a lamp. The light bulb is going to come on and darkness will be eliminated. And that's going to happen because of a core element called the electrical cord. When we think about our lives living for Jesus Christ, the visible effects that happen with the fruit of the Spirit, the things of evidence that God is working in our life, happens because of the core element of true, authentic worship to God. You ever get to a point where you think, man, I am just, my life is a mess. And you begin to evaluate it and you realize that you've tried to do too much on your own. That you've tried to manage your day by yourself. You've tried to work out your problems with what seems right and what is common sense. Until all of a sudden you realize that you've eliminated any of that core element of worship. That's why your life is pouring out carnality. That's why you're triggered so easily to be angry with people. That's why your heart is empowered by bitterness. That's why you're struggling with your viewing habits or, or things that are going on in your life. There's conflict with friends, with your marriage, and with people. And you think you can figure this out on your own until you realize you've done nothing with the core element of true worship before God. Therefore, nothing is flowing out of you as the evidence of God's work in your heart. So the three scopes of worship are this. First of all, we see that there is the inward focus. Now again, looking at this word acceptable throughout the New Testament, this word acceptable gives us the idea of being pleasing to God. It's an an act of worship before God. And so this inward focus is doing good and living righteously. Now remember, Galatians has taught us in your Bible study on Wednesday nights, this is not living a life in order to gain God's acceptance or God's approval. Because that's a done deal, that's taken care of. But what it is, is living a life that is done righteously because it becomes your passion, it becomes your identity found in Jesus Christ. So there would be no different act of you. I'm getting ready to have lunch with a soccer player this next week, and he plays for a professional league. And, and, uh, and so we've been in conversation a little bit with emails, talking about his routine. And you know what? If he doesn't go to practice, if he doesn't go to scrimmage, and if he doesn't watch the video that the coaches want them to watch, he's not going to be identified as a soccer player. He's doing the elements that are necessary in order for his life or his flow to come out to be a part of that. The same way in our Christian life, if we're going to live righteously, if we're going to do good because of our identity that is found in Jesus Christ, we have to have this inward focus of worship. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5? I don't know, guys, did I put that on the board? Ephesians 5 verse number 8 is going to give us this thought of this inward worship. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, For you are sometimes darkness. What he's saying to the Christians in in Ephesus, the church is there. He says, you used to be unrighteous. You used to be unsaved. He said, you used to live in darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Walk as clear evidence that you are no longer in darkness, but now are God's children. Then he says in verse number 9, For the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit working in you is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And then here it is, proving or demonstrating what is acceptable or pleasing unto the Lord. So he says here, this goodness, this righteousness, and this truth to do good is an acceptable act of worship to God. So you want to ask yourself, did you worship this week? Well, you can evaluate, did I inwardly worship God? Did I strive to live righteously, 
to speak truth, and to live in a life of goodness. Then the second area is the outward focus. This leads us to a life that, that shares with others. Now, it's interesting about this thought because this is how we behave with other people. Now, just stop and ask yourself. Think back seven, ten days. How would you grade yourself on a scale of one to ten? One being very poorly, ten being striving to be like Jesus. How did you behave yourself with other people? Like, what were the comments you made to the waitress this week? What kind of things did you say to your coworkers? How did you respond to your kids when they were aggravating? But how did you respond? What kind of things did you say to your spouse? What kind of outward actions did you live in behaving toward others? Like, you, you can only grade that yourself. God's telling you a number, but this outward focus is how we behave with others. Let me give you three of those ways. The first one is not being a stumbling block to another. Romans chapter 14 verse 18 says, for he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. If you look at the context of Romans chapter 14, you would see that this is speaking about our Christian liberty. This is talking about how our actions must be careful that we don't become a stumbling block to other people. Living out my Christian liberty and my freedom that I have because of grace. Yes, but look behind your shoulder. Are you now causing somebody else to act in sin? And so here Romans 14 then says, for he that is in these things, Christian liberty, not being a stumbling block, they serve Christ and it is acceptable or pleasing to God. Romans 15, 16 implies, secondly, that evangelism is a form of acceptable worship. Because what Romans 15 says is that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles, here it is, might be acceptable, pleasing to God, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So your act of worship this week in the outward way was not being a stumbling block, being an evangelist or telling others about the gospel and the power of Christ living in you. And then thirdly, in Romans 4.18, Paul addresses this with the Philippians, and he said that their gift of money to help him in his ministry was something that was acceptable and pleasing to God. He said this, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. They sent gifts, money to Paul threw Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus brought them, and he says, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And so the outward focus of worship can really be summed up by sharing love with fellow believers, sharing the gospel with unbelievers, and meeting the needs of others. Does it become very natural for you to meet the need of somebody else? Or do you say, that's their problem? Or maybe you would even say, that's really their fault. But if God prompts you in your heart to give, do you give? You realize that's an act of authentic worship? Something that is acceptable and pleasing to God? Some people even come to a church setting and they say, all the church wants is money. I can guarantee you that's not what we want. But I know that the lights function with money that is given of tithes and offerings in order to pay the bills. 
I know that the property and the facilities are taken care of and things have to be paid for. And if everybody in the church said that I'm not going to contribute to that because this is mine and I'll do with it what I want, then we would not have a place to meet, to minister, and to bring people to hear the gospel. And so God works through his church. God works through his people. That's why we're able to invest in our missions ministry, why we're able to expand the facility that we're still trying to pay off and take care of. These are the things that God uses as an act of worship. That's why when we give of the offering, we say another portion of our worship time together is the privilege we have to give of the offering. And this has become a time of that of an attitude that says, God, I'm giving back to you what you've blessed me with. Take these funds and use them for your glory. Use them to expand the gospel. Use them to fulfill your work. And so the church has been given that responsibility, but also that privilege to be a part of authentic worship by giving and sharing as an outward focus. The other area of focus with our worship is the upward focus. This is the thanksgiving and praise to God and really best defined by Hebrews chapter 13 when it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Do you see everything in that text of our, out, our upward focus? By him, praise to God continually, giving thanks to his name, God is well pleased. But also look in verse number 16, because notice the other two scopes of worship that we just talked about, how they're mentioned in verse 16. Do you see it? But to do good. That's that inward focus that we would live with goodness, righteousness, and truth. Then he continues by saying, to communicate, forget not. Do you know how we communicate love? By sharing, by giving to others. He says the focuses of our worship then is to go inward, and that is to do good. To go outward, that is to communicate, that is to share with others. And then he says here that all of verse number 15 is all about the upward focus. Now, once we properly understand what worship really is, then we realize that it's not the argument about styles of worship. Authentic worship is not an argument about genres or even different eras. You realize the sounds that we experience this morning in worship are going to be outdated five to ten years from now? Do you realize that the things that happen in worship are things within a culture, within a church, kind of continue to progress and come and go and do different things? Our life is not identified by what happens in a 15-minute segment in our church worship. Our true worship is identified by our lives as individuals. But too often, we want to get riled up because of a 15-minute segment within our church service that is so highly different from what I'm used to or what I even like, that then we can't even focus on the real part of what authentic worship is, and that is our life that we live apart from that little 15-minute segment. So when we think about that, we would say that true worship then must be about the transformation of the heart, 
that causes a lifestyle of praise to God. You see, the beauty of worship is that it looks different from person to person, but the source always remains the same and motivates the heart continually. I realize that you're going to worship God differently tomorrow. I realize that even sitting in a service like this, you worship God a little differently than I do because it's person to person of how you connect with the transformation that God is doing in your heart. We came to the end of that choir number, and I was just into the lyrics of bowing before God, bowing before God, the choir, the music, everything was building. It was directing, and I was visualizing the bowing before God, and I was even thinking of our text in Matthew 4 that says, get away, Satan, be gone, because I'm not going to worship you. Be gone, all these outside distractions, because my worship is for the Lord God and him alone. And so when we came to the climax of that song, I was moved with great emotions, goosebumps and tears in my eyes that I didn't know what to say or what to do. I didn't know if I should jump and shout and praise God and clap, or do I just stand there and sob and and reverence before God? I had no clue what to do. But the reality is, is that not everybody in here responded in the same way. Some of you maybe even sat there and thought, how in the world did she hit that high note? And you were just amazed by that. Some of you maybe even thought, I'm glad the choir's done with that song. Let's move on. Some of us had different responses. I think many of you in here, based on the outward effect, were in a moment of worship before God. Remember, the core element of worship will always affect how we're moved in worship. Because if we're just going to keep a scowl on our face and want no part of what the church is going to call worship, then you're really at the wrong place. Because worship, authentic worship, is a core value of who we are as a church and a piece of the culture that we want to be identified with. Now, within that, we realize that the source of our worship has to be unified. Like the source of our worship, the one who fuels that and pushes us forward is always the redemptive work of what Jesus Christ has done. If you are not saved and have not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to worship about. You have nothing to proclaim. You have nothing to attach yourself to. That's why a man who's been saved for 51 years can tell us with tears in his eyes, sometimes I just have a hard time singing with you because of what the words and the message of the song are doing to my heart. I found the story of Johnny Erickson Tada. And many of you are familiar with her story and how she had a terrible accident that left her as a quadriplegic because of the accident. And in, in spite of her physical limitations, she was able to become an accomplished author and artist and is a very well-known speaker. Now, over 25 years ago, she married her husband and his name is Ken. Now, for her wedding, she had planned it, um, and she said, I was going to come down the, the, the middle aisle in my motorized wheelchair. And so just before the grand entrance, she noticed two distressing problems. First, she had rolled over her beautiful gown and made a big grease spot and a tear in her dress. Then the flowers that she had been holding in her lap had slipped and had lodged between her leg and the chair. She was filled with disappointment. 
And then suddenly the doors to the auditorium opened. It was time. There was, there was no moment. And the doors opened and she saw her husband-to-be. Here was the man who was committing his life and his love to her. Johnny later said this, Once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting a little askew on my lap, the fact that my dress didn't fall right because I was sitting in a wheelchair, the grease marks, the rip in my gown, they all paled in comparison when I saw the face of my Ken. Now, when we, Christian, when we see Christ, he is all that matters to us. So go and worship, live a lifestyle of worship because friends, worship is not an option and therefore we must live it every day with every part of our being.